It was 40 years ago that a group of 178 followers of Jesus met in Old Alabaster to plant a church. On January the 4th, 1981, these followers of Jesus met together and prayed that God would use them to be a church that would preach Christ right in the heart of Shelby County. Not knowing what the future would hold, this group met and prayed and gave and sacrificed so that the gospel would continue to go forth through this church. You see, as followers of Jesus here at Westwood, we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. By God's grace, there were those who labored and prayed and prepared, and here we are as recipients of their labor. And God has been kind to allow all of us to be a part of a church that's growing in health, growing in faithfulness to Jesus and to his mission and to his word. You know, I feel like as your pastor, I get to pastor the best church in the whole wide world, okay? I'm a little biased. I get it. I understand it. But when the Lord called us here in 2011 to be the student pastor and then four years ago to become the senior pastor, this has become my my heartbeat. This is what I pray for. This is what I preach for, what I labor for, is that we would continue to grow to be a healthy, faithful family that follow hard after Jesus together. Now, the church isn't perfect yet. Okay, so Christy and I, when we're teaching our children, we teach them catechisms. It's a way to teach theology through a question and answer format. And one of the questions we ask is, who are Christ's people? And our children will respond, they make up his church. And the question then becomes, is the church perfect? And they respond, no, it's being perfected. And the last question we ask then is, when will it be perfect? Their answer, at the resurrection. You see, there's coming a day when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be perfect. And that day is coming. But as we look forward to, as we anticipate this great and glorious day in which we will be perfected by our Lord Jesus Christ, why don't we be a people who are devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to his church. That's what we see happening in Acts chapter 2. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Now, I'm currently wearing a tie, which I find incredibly uncomfortable, But there's a reason for it. At the end of our next service, the 1030 service, we're going to be ordaining three men into our deacon ministry. We'll also be having 11 men rolling on as deacons. And so the Lord has been very kind to allow our faith family to have a strong deacon ministry of 30 solid guys. Uh, We have several who are rolling off, many who are rolling on, but the Lord has been kind. But at the end of the next service, we get to celebrate that. And so we have behind us these stools and bowls. And so myself, uh, the chairman of our deacons, Duffy Vanderford for 2020, and our chairman for 2021, uh, Bob Rickman, are going to be washing the feet of these three new deacons who are going to be serving in our faith family. And so that's why I'm all gussied up today. 
I rarely wear ties except for funerals and weddings, but this is a special occasion, so I think we, we can do that. The book of Acts is volume two of a two-volume set. Volume one is the gospel of Luke. Luke is writing an orderly account in his gospel of the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Volume two, the book of Acts, is the Acts of the Apostles. It's what happens post Jesus ascending up into heaven and sitting down at the right hand of God the Father. Now, some people refer to it as the Acts of the Apostles. I would make the argument that the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. More than 50 times we see the the word Holy Spirit show up in this book over and over. We see how God the Holy Spirit is at work through the early church. You see, before his ascension up into heaven, Jesus set the mission for his disciples. He says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus sets the mission for the church of declaring to the nations all that he has done. To go and to proclaim amongst the nations, Psalm 96.3, the good deeds of God and all that he has accomplished. Well, when Jesus ascended back up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father, not because he was tired, but because the work was complete, he left behind a visible, tangible, touchable people that will represent and reflect him. And it's the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the living representation of Jesus on this earth. You see, the church is the vehicle through which the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. The local church is designed to be a kingdom outpost. And we are tasked with the great commission of going to the ends of the earth and making disciples. The question is how? How are we to function? How are we to relate with one another? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, I think we can take a lot of our cues from the early church that we see in Acts chapter 2. Read with me beginning in verse 42. The scripture says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You see, the local church is not a social club. It's not a country club. We are not a special interest group. We are not a political party that you vote on or that you join. The local church is the in-gathering of Christ followers who preach the gospel, make disciples, and perform the ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper. You see, the local church is an embassy. It's a kingdom outpost that regularly bows before our king, King Jesus. You see, the local church is a family. 
people whom you lock arms with to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, hear me on this. The church is unstoppable. No king or emperor, no religion or revolution, no judge or jihadist, no suppression or secularist can ever thwart God's mission through his church. What began 2,000 years ago outside Jerusalem will endure until Jesus returns to claim his bride for himself. And though there are many kingdoms and governments and tyrants who have tried to stop the church and continue to try to snuff out the church, we see in Scripture, Christ's church marches on. Nothing can stop the church. And the gospel is what motivates us to be fully invested to be laboring for the good of the church. Why? Because Jesus gave his all for the church. We see in verse 42, the early church, they devoted themselves. Verse 46, they devoted themselves. You see, commitment to the church, it was not half-hearted. It was not tepid. It was not lukewarm. They were completely committed to and sold out for their local church. In fact, the verb tense of the word devoted, it means it's a continuous action. It didn't ever stop. They were continually devoted to the local church. And Acts chapter 2 sets before us a model for how we as followers of Jesus in 2021 are to continually devote our lives to the church. Well, what are you talking about specifically? Well, we see it here in the text. I want you to see these four things we are to devote ourselves to. I want you to see first, we are to be a people who are devoted to God's word. God's word. In verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The 11 disciples plus Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot in Acts chapter 1, they were teaching God's word to God's people. The church was devoted to God's word. When the apostles taught God's word, the people, they they leaned in. They were hungry. They were eager. Now, remember, the New Testament scriptures had not been written at this point. The apostles were teaching what they had heard, what they had received from Jesus. Now, eventually, the apostles, carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote down God's word that you now have in your lap. I mean, how faithful is God to preserve his word that you have in your lap on your phone, the sacred writings of the apostles. Well, today, God speaks primarily through his word. The early church devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word. And y'all, it's a marvelous mystery. The spirit of God uses the preaching of the word of God to mature the people of God. What we see in the early church is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were all in on God's word. When when we, as God's people, open the scriptures, when they are rightly and accurately divided and taught, the Holy Spirit takes the truth and plants it into the hearts and lives of God's people. 
And this is what God does. He takes his word and he uses it to shape and to work in the hearts of his people. This is why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. You can make note that day is already here. People will surround themselves with teachers and preachers who tell them what they want to hear. They may look good, sound good, talk good, make you feel good, but that does not mean that they're representing the Lord. If someone is speaking, claiming to speak for the Lord, and it doesn't come from Scripture, and it's not sound doctrine, stay away. Stiff arm. Do not put yourself under the influence of false teaching, no matter how it makes you feel. The question is, is it true? Does it come from the scriptures? There are people who will tickle your ears and make you feel a certain way. The danger of false teaching is that heaven and hell are at stake. If someone believes and gives their life to a false teaching, hell is reality. Run away from, flee from those who claim to speak for God, but they don't open their Bibles, or they wrongly interpret the scriptures for the sake of personal gain. You see, God does not take kindly for those who misrepresent him. Here's my prayer for us is that we would be a church that studies the scriptures like Bereans. In Acts 17, verse 11, we see that the Bereans, as the disciples were teaching, it says they received the word with all eagerness. I love that. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You see, as the word of God is brought to bear upon your life, let us be a church of a, we are a people of the book. We love the scriptures. You daily meditate on the word day and night. You're like a tree planted by streams of water. Your heart is tethered to the scriptures. You know, it's often said of Charles Spurgeon that if you pricked him, he would bleed Bible. I hope one day that's true of me, is that the Bible so it, it saturates my heart and my mind that as I speak, the word of God comes out. You see, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's happening right here is going to be revealed by what you say, Right? So why don't we saturate our hearts with the word of God? And when that time comes for us to speak, out comes wisdom. Out comes the truth of Christ. Out comes the word of God. This is what we do as followers of Jesus. We devote ourselves to God's word. Well, secondly, we not only devote ourselves to God's word, we are to be devoted to God's people to God's people. We see verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to 
the fellowship. That word for fellowship, it carries the meaning of closeness and intimacy. It communicates an intimate bond of fellowship which unites Christians together. You see, for the early church, gathering with God's people, it was a priority. It's like, listen, we're, we're going to gather with God's people. It's what we do as a, as a family. It's what we do as individuals. It's a priority. Like, this is, this is what's important to us. I, I love how Luke describes this devotion for one another. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. You, this, you see, the Spirit had created this culture in the early church of love and joy and unity and generosity. People joyfully sacrificed for the good of their brother and sister. They had, had held all of their possessions with an open hand. You see, there was a, a, this mentality of what's mine is yours. Okay, now when you, when you get married, husbands, it's often said, what's mine is yours, and the wife says, what's yours is mine, and what's mine is mine, right? So you, you the early church says, no, 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 this is, it's all yours. Property, my home, my vehicles, my car, my, my, my clothes, everything. I'm laying it out open-handed. This is, they were together and they had everything in common. They were devoted to one another. I love hearing stories when I meet with our, uh, those who planted our, our charter members at Westwood, our senior adults. It is a joy just to sit down and ask them questions and to hear stories of how God has been faithful. You know, early in the church's infancy, there came a point in which the doors were about to close. They didn't know if the church was going to make it. And when the church discovered, man, we've got a, a problem on our hands, people took out second mortgages on their homes. They sold boats. They sold jewelry. They sacrificially gave. They did everything they could to make sure that this church could stick together. Look what God has done. Because they sacrificed, God has endured his church we as a faith family are together because our forefathers and foremothers sacrificed. They wanted to see a church remain Jesus-centered right in the heart of Shelby County. Question, if day comes in which we're just not sure if we can make it happen, are we ready to sacrifice? Are you ready to say, I'm going to sell my boats. I'm going to sell all my toys. I want to do whatever it takes so that this church can continue to last for generations yet to have been born. That was the heart of those who've come before us. May it be true of us as God's people who say, listen, my life is temporary. I want to see something last a lot longer than my temporary life. And so I'm going to invest into what's going to remain forever. This is what we do as followers of Jesus. We sacrifice for the good of the gospel so that the name of Jesus can continue to march forward. This is what we do. We sacrifice for one another. We're family. We're brothers and sisters who've been adopted, and we have the same father and the same big brother, King Jesus. And even though we're all quirky and different and unique in various perspectives and opinions about everything, we have one thing that holds us together, and that's Jesus. 
That's the beauty of the church. It's just not one skin color. It's not just one economic income. It's not just one rhythm of life. We see one day it's going to be people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We're a diverse group, okay? We have idiosyncrasies and quirkiness, but we have Jesus. And he's what bands us together as brothers and as sisters. You see, we need each other. You see, God gives more than 50 one another commands in the New Testament. You can't fulfill a one another command without being in relationships with other believers in the church. You see, you and I need each other to persevere to the end. You need me, and I need you, and you need each other. So here's a challenge I want to put before you. Make it your mission that every person in your church hears from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, if you make it your mission that your brothers and sisters hear those words from the lips of Jesus with a Galilean accent, if you make it your mission to, for everyone else to hear that, you're going to hear it. If you want to hear the applause of Jesus, seek to bring as many people as possible to hear those same words. We're family. We're together. And we need each other for the sake of perseverance in the gospel, but also for the sake of encouraging one another to be found faithful on the last day. Over the Christmas break, Christy and I, we were in Kentucky seeing family. And one morning I got up really early and I was reading Acts chapter 2. And just that word right there in chapter 2 just jumped out at me, just broke my heart as the word together. Together. We haven't been together as a faith family in 44 weeks, 10 months. I miss so many of you. And there are so many of you watching online right now in which you don't need to come back. You need to stay safe. And this pandemic is real and we want to protect you. And so by all means. Now there are others of you who you're out and about, you're going to gatherings, your kids are in school. You need me back in church. I need you. And you need me. And we need each other. This is what we see in Acts 2, is that they were devoted to one another. There was a togetherness. You see, the word church, ecclesia, it means assembly. It's a gathering. It's a prerequisite that you show up. <laughs> now, being a part of the church is far more than that, but it's certainly not less than that. And as followers of Jesus, we need one another for the sake of enduring in the gospel and encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. This is why the writer of Hebrews gives the command, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And we see it in Acts everywhere. Verse 43, they were filled with awe. They were together as they saw the apostles, apostles' signs and wonders. Verse 44, all the believers were together. Verse 46, they devoted themselves to meeting together. And I love how verse 46 states it. They broke bread from house to house. People were eating in each other's homes. They were sitting down at kitchen tables. They would meet and they would eat. Sounds like really good Baptists, right? 
And we sit down and we have a meal together. We break bread. We laugh. We tell stories. They, verse 46, ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. It's a mark of a healthy church. Not only that we love each other, but we like each other. We want to be together. We want to build relationships. If you find yourself saying, you know what? I look across the room. I walk the hallways. I don't know a whole lot of people. Let this be a year in which you say, you know what? I need to start introducing myself. I need to get connected with a life group. I need to build relationships. This is, these are the people whom you're going to spend eternity with. Let's get to know each other now. Building these meaningful relationships, growing together to be like Christ. Let's, let's make 2021 be a year in which you become more devoted to God's people. Thirdly, what we see in the text is that we're to be devoted to worship. Verse 42 they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The breaking of bread is a reference to the Lord's Supper and eating a large group meal together. We see it in Acts 20, verse 7, where the church, they met together on the first day of the week to break bread. You see, the early church, they began worshiping on Sundays because it's a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus that took place on Easter Sunday. And they would, in these worship gatherings, they would take the Lord's Supper, but then they would follow, the, follow their worship gatherings with a meal. It's known as the agape feast or a, a love feast. They would sit down as a faith family and they would eat a meal together. They would bring out the crock pots and all of the, the trimmings and they would eat together and spend time with one another. I would love for one day, if the Lord wills, to allow us an opportunity to build a building so that we can all eat together. We can spend time together. We can invest in one another and have time to really enjoy one another's company, to be devoted to one another in these meals. And they not only devote themselves to the breaking of bread, but also, verse 42, prayer. The early church was dependent upon the Lord. They cried out to him saying, God, we've got to have you. They didn't have the First Amendment. They didn't have politicians who represented them in D.C. They didn't have the influence of the culture. Christians were outcasts, hated. They, they did not have any kind of moral majority. They didn't have a party they could vote for that could hopefully represent them. They were persecuted. So they had the word of God, they had one another, and they were devoted to prayer because they knew, God, if you don't show up, all of this is over. God, we've got to have you. There was this desperation we see in Acts 1.14. They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In Acts 4, the church gathers together and they begin praying and the building they're in starts shaking. We see in Acts 12 that Peter is in prison and the church is praying for his release and an angel of the Lord shows up, opens up the gates and we see Peter's jailbreak. In Acts 21, we see where Paul meets with believers on the beach over in Tyre and they hit a knee and they pray together. You see, prayer is one of the distinguishing marks that you follow Jesus. We're to be a people of prayer. We're gonna see in a few weeks when we get to Mark chapter 11, where Jesus flips over tables in the temple. And what does he say? My house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. Prayer. You see, prayer is a mark of being a follower 
of Jesus. This is something we were to give ourselves to. It's as natural as breathing. The early church devoted themselves to prayer. You see, my heartbeat as your pastor is for us to continue to seek Jesus together. That we become a, a healthy church and a healthy church is a praying church which means you have great freedom in the hallways to stop and put hands on someone's shoulder and say, I'm praying for you and we're gonna pray right now. You, you pray together as a family, fathers, husbands. God has given you a masculine voice to speak words of blessing and affirmation over your family. Use it. Put your hand on your wife's shoulder and pray for her. Put your hands on your children and pray for them. You may be thinking, Kenneth, that sounds terrifying. I know it is. But if you can start there, it gets easier the more you do it. You take time to pray. Women praying diligently. I think about of all the women throughout church history who have prayed diligently, and God uses the prayers of women to transform the world. It's interesting, teenagers. You know, you realize that the second great awakening took place because a bunch of teenagers gathered together under a haystack to pray. Revival swept across the United States and into various nations around the world all because a bunch of teenagers started praying together. You see, when you pray, God begins to move. He works in and through his people. And this is so we are. We're praying people marked by our love and our devotion and our submission to Jesus. You see, when the exaltation of Jesus is the single focus of the church, joy, unity, and peace are the result. Let's be a people who point to Jesus and exalt him to make Jesus big in our hearts and our families and our homes and our church and watch him move. We see fourthly in the text, the word to be devoted to evangelism. Verse 47, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. As the church was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, as they're sharing with each other, devoting themselves, eating together, house to house, praising God for his kindness, he's adding to their number. Every day people are coming to Christ, which means the early church is preaching the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus. You see, when something exciting happens in your life, you talk about it. You can't wait to brag about it. So when I was about to get married, I told everybody. When I was about to become a dad for the first time, I told everybody. When we started the adoption process, I started telling everybody. When we were expecting again, I told everybody. When we started the adoption process again, I told everybody. When you're excited, you tell people, right? There's something happening in your life like, ooh, people got to know this. There's nothing greater than knowing that your sins are forgiven. Brag on Jesus. That's evangelism. You're just telling people how great Jesus is, what he's done in your heart and in your life. You can't help but tell people, man, Jesus has changed everything about me. He is everything to me. You got to know him. You got to believe upon him. Trust in Christ. 
I'm encouraging you, make, make Sunday mornings a time when you're regularly inviting people. Hey, come to church with me. Hey, come sit with me. Come to my life group. Hey, let's go to lunch afterwards. Let's talk about the Lord. Talk about what he's doing in your heart and in your life. You brag upon Jesus. You see, the early church, they were devoting themselves to evangelism. Remember later on in Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen who's stoned to death. And the persecution, Acts 8, rises up against the church. Saul, who will one day become Paul, is persecuting the church so greatly that they scatter. These people we see in Acts 2 who are breaking bread together are running for their lives. But do you know what they're doing? As they're running for their lives, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Stay-at-home moms carpenters, bakers, authors. They're followers of Jesus who are running for their lives, but wherever they went, they're preaching the gospel. Remember how Jesus says, you're gonna be my witnesses all throughout the ends of the earth? God sends persecution to scatter his church to the ends of the earth. God was up to something. You see, the church was devoted to evangelism. They wanted people to know Jesus. May that be our heartbeat as well. Saying, listen, I want as many people as possible to know and love and follow Jesus. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to? And here we are on the, on the beginning stages of 2021. What is the task? What's your impact point? And it's this. Be more devoted to Jesus and Westwood than ever before. 40 years ago, little did that small group of people know that over the next 40 years, Thousands of people would come to faith in Jesus. Thousands of people would be baptized. Little did they know that through their tiny church, millions of dollars would be sent all throughout the world to preach the gospel. Little did they know that millions of meals would be served to the poor and the hungry, both locally and globally. Little did they know that they would grow from 178 members to 3,000. It's a work of Jesus. God working through his local church. And here we are, 40 years later. The question I've got is, 40 years from now, will Westwood still be preaching the gospel and making disciples? The answer is up to us. I want to invite you to join me in making much of Jesus, being fully devoted to him and fully devoted to one another because we have a savior who is so devoted to us, he went all the way to the cross where he gave his life he was sacrificed on a tree so that through his shed blood, all who trust in him are forgiven. We're washed, we're clean, we're made brand new through faith in him. And this savior, he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he came back to life, rising again, offering eternal life to all who trust in him. Let us be a people who not only love this savior, but love his church. We devote ourselves to Christ 
we devote ourselves 